Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Welcome to NBA Today, presented by PNC Bank. Coming up on NBA Today, to play or not to play, the latest on John Morant's knee and how his injury is going to impact this series against the Warriors and how James got his groove back. The Sixers star, he unleashed his patented step back last night. So should Philly now be favored over Miami? Plus, this is no joking matter. Nikola Jokic is the MVP again, but is he deserving? We break it all down right now on NBA Today. So we're still awaiting an update on Morant, but this was him about 30 minutes ago. He's arriving at Grizzlies shoot-around. We will update his status throughout the show. Welcome to NBA Today, presented by PNC Bank. I'm Malika Andrews, joined by J.J. Redick and Richard Jefferson. We have reporters joining us throughout the show, but we're going to start with Morant because the Grizzlies star, he's officially listed as doubtful, as I just mentioned, with right knee soreness. Memphis head coach Taylor Jenkins said yesterday that, quote, this injury is caused by that play. And you can see it right here, the play in question. Jordan Poole appears to be grabbing at Morant's knee in the fourth quarter of Golden State's win on game three. That was on Saturday night. So John Morant, he didn't speak at shoot around yet. The last we heard from him was this now deleted tweet. It was after the game Morant tweeted, broke the code. A reference to Warriors head coach Steve Kerr saying that John's teammate Dylan Brooks broke the code with his flagrant foul on Gary Payton the second in the second game of that series. So there is a whole lot to unpack here, but I want to start with that word code, if we could, guys. It, it's come up a lot. JJ and Richard, you, you guys played a combined 32 years in the NBA, so take us inside the locker room. When we hear that word code, what does that mean? Well, it just means that the things that you are taught very, very early on in the game that you don't do. Like, we, we talked about it when, if, when, you know, the Dylan Brooks thing. We are taught at 10, 12, 13 years old in the park. It's like, why are they fighting? It's because, oh, it's because he took out his legs or he went up for a dunk and he took him out. These are things that you are taught, and there's a ton of code, but it's mainly just about protecting players because at the end of the day, we are all on the same team. We are just competing against each other. Mm. Yeah, I mean, again, I don't think any code was broken here on this yeah. particular play. There's a big difference, by the way, between launching yourself through the air towards the basket and having someone come and try to decapitate you or getting <laughs> undercut. Like getting undercut. Dang. Getting undercut is what he damn yes. near took his head off. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> th there's a big difference between that and reaching in for the ball yeah. on, on a loose ball. Um, you know, I've watched this play. So many times. I think it's important to note, like, John Morant missed nine games because of right knee soreness earlier in the year. He banged that knee on Clay Thompson earlier in the game. And on that particular play, in slow motion, mm. you see his right leg move in all sorts of different directions. So, yeah, maybe he did get hurt on that play. But I have a hard time believing that Jordan Poole maliciously went in to hurt John Morant's knee. And, and, and really quickly, it's a since-deleted tweet. 
it is deleted because, uh, you know, maybe some people got to him and be like, hey, uh, Gary Payton II, he might not play again this season. Mm. Like, your situation, yeah. and look, I feel bad for any player that's injured. I love John Morant. I don't want to see him miss one minute on the floor. But to try and compare those two plays, that's just very, very difficult. So to be very clear here, this play, this Jordan Poole play, yes. dirty or not? Oh, Richard? not, no, not dirty. Just just incidental contact. Remember when Draymond yeah. had to get stitches because in the game, he, like Jordan Poole knocks the ball loose. Then he's swiping at it, and then he, as he comes back, his hand swipes it. I, like there's no grab, there's no pull, there's no like wrap and yank and twist. And it's still, I'm not saying that the injury didn't like kind of get like inflamed in that moment, but to say that there was like, to say intense. that that's intense yeah. or like same type of like, oh, I'm going to grab his leg and kind of jerk it. You know, the old Larry Bird, if your back was sore, he'd elbow you in the back on the first play. This isn't those type of things. JJ, anything to add here? Uh, nothing to add. I'll reiterate that it was not a dirty play, and I don't believe there was any malicious intent on Jordan. All right. Yeah, that makes that that seems to be the the eye test, and that is what the league deemed as well. Thank you both. We're going to be hearing both from you again very shortly. I do want to get an update here, though, from Ramona Shelburne about how the rest of the league yeah. is reacting to this. Ramona, what are you hearing? Look, everyone I've talked to had the same opinion Richard and JJ did, which yeah. is essentially unfortunate. Right? Unfortunate, but not a dirty play. And I think the question here is really, you get to be upset when your star player gets hurt. You just do, and it's understandable. But the question is, do you take it forward? And it, it somebody brought up the, the Joel Embiid-Pascal Siakam play. Joel Embiid addressed that for the first time on Friday night when he came back, and he said, I don't, I don't blame Pascal. He's one of my best friends. We know each other really well. I, it, was a, it was an elbow that broke his orbital bone. It was, it was a difficult situation, but... He didn't mean to do it, and I think that's where we're going to end up with this play. But you get, you get to be upset. Yeah, right? absolutely. Especially hurt. when your star player is yeah. hurt, you get to be upset. All right, let's get to tonight's game. Here are the Warriors that shoot around earlier today on how they're preparing for this important game four. Memphis went 20-5 and five without them. Um, they're a hell of a team for a reason. They're really deep. So um, while it may change uh, uh, a scheme or two, in terms of how we're guarding, um, it doesn't change our respect for what they're capable of. Um, so we uh, will be prepared either way. All right, so for anyone who forgot, if the Grizzlies do in fact have to go a game without Jaw in this game four, they have a whole lot of experience in that department. Memphis, they went 20 and five in games without Morant during the regular season. That's tied for the best win percentage by any team in NBA history when missing a 25 point scorer. So back with JJ and Richard, we just showed the numbers, the Grizzlies, they didn't miss a beat without Jaw in the regular season. So Richard, what makes them so good specifically without their star? Well, I, I think their style of play, this is where coaching really comes in, making sure that all of these guys on their team feel enabled to go out and play the style of game that you can maintain with Ja. And that's where Tyus Jones comes in. Tyus Jones, to me, is, is so important to their team because he goes from a backup to a starter, maybe the best you know backup point guard in the league, to a starter, and the pace stays the same. He knows how to get all the guys the same shots in the same place. Now, he's not Ja Morant, but he knows how to make sure that the style of play and the pace stays the same. Mm. And that's what makes him so special. That plug-and-play, JJ. Well, I'll add two things to that. The, the Grizzlies were better defensively in the regular season when Ja was hurt. And secondly, Desmond Bain's production went way up in those games that, that Ja Morant missed. And to me, that's the guy 
that the Grizzlies have to get going. He was fantastic in round one against the Timberwolves, but it has been very limited so far in this series. He's averaging 10 a game. He hasn't had any momentum getting shots. And Steph Curry has been the primary defender on him and has done a really good job. Look, Richard knows this from playing in the playoffs so many times. When you're a shooter, the awareness around where you are on the court goes up exponentially. And the Warriors have found him every time down the floor. Jordan Poole has also guarded him. The two of those guys have done a fantastic job on Desmond Bain. So they got to figure out whether that's through dribble handoffs, whether that's through step-up pull-ups, or getting him moving more. They got to figure out a way to get Desmond Bain going. So Desmond Bain is the guy that you're watching without John Morant tentatively. Again, for now, he is listed as doubtful. But Richard, on the other side of the ball, who are you watching that needs to continue or step up for the Warriors? Well, I alluded to it earlier when I was talking about Tyus Jones. What, what Tyus Jones does for their team is he has the same kind of energy. And so when you know you have a point guard that can knock down shots, that plays and competes on the defensive end, and like we said, he's not Ja. You can't replace Ja. But that record is no lie. You see that record when Ja is out. It's because when you put in players and he's able to say, hey, I know you like the ball here. I know we had to get this, this pin down for you. Hey, Jaron Jackson Jr., we're going to run this play, get you a shot. There is a, a kind of a, a captain-style play that he plays, and it just it's just like a seamless transition. When Jaws in the lineup, out the lineup, he doesn't care if he's starting, not starting. He just knows how to play the way the Grizzlies need him to be successful. That was such an eloquent, beautiful answer to who the Grizzlies need when I when I was curious about the Warriors. He doesn't listen to the Grizzlies. question, Malika. He doesn't listen <laughs> to the question. So it's I thought it the same eloquent. thing. It was lovely. Really? Uh, just kind Very of Mike, clearly JJ, asked go ahead. who needs to step up for the go Warriors. Ahead, I was reading that. I didn't <laughs> go know. ahead, JJ. You're right. Yeah. You guys are right. It's Monday. See what I have to it's deal Monday. with? I apologize. Get, drink some more coffee and God. let JJ talk. Yeah. No, I look. I, I I've been as fascinated with it as any NBA fan throughout this stretch of games, going back uh, several months now, and, and especially in this playoffs with the play of Jordan Poole. To me, mm. you know, his his play as well as Jonathan Kaminga's development, like this, ultimately is what is extending this Warriors group championship window. And when he plays at an elite level. And you mix in the genius of Draymond Green, the play of Steph, the play of uh, Clay Thompson. They are as good as anyone in basketball. And so for me, it's like if they are, if they want to win a championship, this is the version of Jordan Poole that we're going to have to see throughout the playoffs. Well, you know, since I get a second crack at this question, <laughs> you know, let's try this again. Uh, no, no, I, look, I. I I, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say I, I want to say Kaminga because we know this for a fact is that there is no way that the Golden State Warriors are going to be able to win a championship without Gary Payton II unless you find another defender, unless you find another athletic wing defender. Because yeah. you can roll out all the offense you want, all the shooting, but they also have to guard people on the other end. And so if Kaminga can step in there, and it's not doesn't mean he's got to play 35 minutes, 32 minutes. If he can give you 18 minutes of intelligent, strong defense, athletic defense, and that gives you know Steph a little bit more energy, that gives Wiggins a little bit more energy to score. So that's what Gary Payton did. He was in there to defend and slow down people. If Kaminka can take that energy, then I think it's going to be a positive ad for them in the starting lineup.
I'm sorry, what did you just say? I wasn't listening. Wow. Just kidding. Much more on this game later Monday in the show, you too, including live reports from our reporters that are embedded with both teams. We have so much more to come, though, on NBA <laughs> Get Today. Jokic's historic season. It results in another MVP. So we ask our panel about whether or not he should have won. Plus, James Harden, he gave us a vintage performance last night. JJ Redick breaks down how he got it done. And who's tonight's X Factor in the Celtics and Bucks pivotal game four in Milwaukee? We answered that and more. Keep it locked on NBA Today. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. NBA Today is presented by PNC Bank. See how we can make a difference. Jokic has one-on-one. It's... Welcome back to NBA Today presented by PNC Bank. All right, let's go by the numbers on Jokic winning this award, starting with 15. Jokic became the 15th player in NBA history to win MVP multiple times and the 13th to win in back-to-back seasons. And he also created his own club, becoming the first player in NBA history to record 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds, 500 assists in a single season. Jokic led the Nuggets in every statistical category. Jokic, he, he was just playing out of his mind all season long. But the question that is circulating around everybody's minds right now is even though he finished with career highs in points, rebounds, blocks, steals per game, his versatility being on full display without his running mate Jamal Murray, is should he have won the MVP? So, Ramona, I'll start with you. Look, he is a worthy winner. Um, I just think there were three worthy candidates this year, uh, Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and, and, and Nikola Jokic. And I think... It, the, the because Jokic wins, you can look at the advanced stats. I think it's going to go down in history as, okay, he won because of the advanced stats. That's how it's being written right now. But history should not always be judged five minutes after it happens. It can be judged five years or five or ten years from now. I think Joel Embiid deserved to win. That's who I voted for. I think Giannis deserved to win. I think Jokic deserved to win. You showed one of the highlights from the Jokic playing against Joel Embiid, and he had the game-winning shot there. There was another play where Giannis went up against Embiid, blocked a shot at the end of the game. I know we all talk about advanced stats and all the other metrics that people vote yeah. on, but I think those two games, those two moments down the stretch actually really hurt Embiid's candidacy. In, in addition to the trade for James Harden, because that undercut the idea that he was the only guy carrying his team, right? And so these things are close, and we'll judge them five years from now, too. Well, yeah, you can, you can definitely judge them five years from now. I think when you look at this, there is no wrong answer. There is no right. wrong answer. And, you know, Jokic, Giannis, Embiid. The one thing that I, for me, as a kid that grew up watching this game, the fact that we are not going to talk about the MVP and we're here in the second round of the postseason, yep. 
That to me, I, I always felt that was going to be the case. Last year when he beat Portland, or the, 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 uh, the Denver Nuggets beat Portland, they cleared out all of Portland. They were like, yes, yep. we, we like this team should not have beaten Portland. <laughs> we're going to get rid of everybody. We're going to change everything. This year, you knew for a fact that it was going to be next to impossible for his team to advance. Sure. So it, I, yeah. I just look at that as like the MVP is also a promotional award for this league. And the fact that over the next tw 36 hours, that'll probably be the last time we talk about the MVP for the rest of the postseason. And that to me is just one of the things why I was like Embiid and Giannis, they, I had them a little bit in front of Jokic even though their numbers weren't as great because of their teams. JJ? I, I would uh, co-sign what both of them said and I would also just add you know in a normal season you could make a strong case that Devin Booker mm -hmm. should yeah. have yes. been the Facts. MVP of the right. season but the individual greatness those three players Giannis, Jokic, Embiid they dominated they dominated this year and their teams were all good enough and we can get into sort of different records but when Jokic played the, the, the Nuggets had a record that was on par with when Giannis played, that was on par with when Embiid played. I can't imagine what it must have been like. I do not have a vote. I do not have a vote. I can't imagine what it must have been like as a voter this year trying to decide between those three players. Had I had a vote, and we all know how I feel about my dear friend Joel Embiid, had I had a vote, I would have voted for Jokic. I think what he did this season was absolutely incredible and he was the most valuable player in the NBA. Yeah, Ramona, you're the only one on this panel who does vote. Yeah. I do not vote. Richard Jefferson does not vote, but this was an incredibly difficult you know, decision. You have to tell people it was. Business. Why do you have it, to tell people that I'm not? I think it's important. It's okay. It's it was. And baby. by the way, this hasn't been announced yet. This is just our Adrian Wojnarowski reporting it. Sure. So let's, I'll be really curious to see what the actual vote totals oh, are. Yeah. I, I'm really curious. I bet it's going close. to be a slim oh. margin. But I don't know. I think, I think Giannis closed the gap at the end. Interesting. In, in the, I'm curious to see where second and third come out too. Ooh. All right. Well, let's let's check out the MVP. Since let's said, go. He's we're not nice. going to talk to him a whole lot about him yeah, a whole yeah, lot more. Like, yes. Let's do it right there now. We go. And let's check out some of his top plays from the season that is powered by Coinbase. So first, see if you powered by Coinbase top dime. See what we did there. Yeah. Nikola Jokic, his vision, his passing is something else. Right and now. and that's it. the thing. We're like. He is next level. He is a once in a, not generational player, he's once in a multi-generational player. Mm. That's how rare you see a guy that has his skill set, his size, his shooting ability. 100% this guy is deserving of the MVP. It's all of the other things around that come with the MVP that make you question. And he does it with a poker face or a joker face, so top composure, crunch say. time against the Clippers. I'm awake. I have my coffee. We're oh. ready for it. Check this out. He, How? It's perfect. Now, now again, somebody's got knocked down that shot. Somebody got, he ain't got no teammates. Somebody got knocked down that shot. Shout out my, my shout out my boy, AG, Arizona Bear Down. Somebody's got knocked down that shot. That was and a he heck did of a pass. That was. And, and that's, he's the greatest passing big man, period. And when he we, made we that pass, it. he just, his face is just like this. Like, oh, his face I'm is always good. like this. His face it is always matter. like that. He All right, top quarterback. Ooh. Let's check this out. So Harden, the miss. And then this happens. Just look at this on a dime. And, and I, look, I, I, after playing with Jason Kidd and playing with LeBron James, like some of the greatest passers, he's a better passer than LeBron James. He's not quite as good as Jason Kidd. But the fact that we're talking, talking about, about him in that conversation, in that same, yeah. like, is he as good as Jason Kidd? 
he's close because he's got the same type of sexy, the same type of feel, eye movement, misdirection. It's beautiful. Well, well Michael Malone disagreed. He said he's not sexy. And Nikola Jokic, he said, well, I, I might beg to do Yeah, it. but we don't judge Mike Malone on what's sexy and what's not. He <laughs> says the man with way too many buttons undone. All right, coming up on NBA Today, we've seen it countless times in the past. But how James Harden caught fire last night. But is this performance sustainable? Our panel is going to dive in on that. And the Mavericks, they take both games at home against the top-seeded Suns and even the series. But what happened to CP3? Plus, can the Warriors take a commanding 3-1 lead tonight despite all of the off-the-court drama? We're heading to the Bay Area. That's next on NBA Today. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. You're watching NBA Today, presented by PNC Bank. Welcome back to NBA Today, presented by PNC Bank. So it's time for one of my favorite segments that we What's get to that? do on this show. And that's when we look back at the weekend with the best wired sound. Ooh. Take a listen. Game three is underway. But keep getting stopped. Tatum into the paint. Giannis sends it back. Good stuff on both ends. Giannis fires the holiday for the layup. We kept our composure throughout the whole game. Smart got it, puts it up. No! Tip won't go Williams. Another truck. The game is over. We hit you, you go to work. Moran from half court. He puts it in. Let's go. Keeping simple and let the game come to you. Well, we got to get some consecutive stops. I love the pace. Right? We rebound and we go. I think we just have to flush it down the toilet and move on to the next game. Keep moving that rock. Get more confident you know, as the series goes on. Here's Harden for three. This is the beer delivers. That was such a great look pack at an action-packed weekend that got us to where we stand currently, which is the Warriors. They lead the Grizzlies two games to one. And then in the East, the Bucks, they're also up two to one on the Celtics, the Heat and the Sun series. Those leads were a erased this weekend. The Mavericks and the Sixers, they took care of home court, tied up their series at two games apiece. And a big reason why the Sixers were able to even their series was the late game performance from James Harden in game four. Four points, one of seven in fourth quarters this Ooh, series. That's not good. Well, he was very good last night, Richard. And, and it's so impressive. It's like you look at this, I think it was what, 11 games that he, 11 games or 12 games that he hadn't reached over, thir over 25. Yeah, yep. And so he comes out and just dominates. Oh, there's a step back. That's a step back. But this is the thing. This is who he has to be. This is who he's been for the last decade. Just a dominant player when you need him most, an unguardable player.
And then again, right here, blows by Bam Adebayo. And that's what was missing. It was that first step. We hadn't seen that first step burst from him at all. And but then catch and shoot. Remember. All that is set up, though, by making his three-pointers. Now they got to come up on him because he's going to hit that shot. You yeah. got to guard him. And yeah. that was guarding him pretty well. And still, that's the James Harden we have come to know. 16 points in the fourth quarter. He finished with 31, and the Sixers win it. Here they were after the game. It's just James being James. I said it before the game. I felt like he was going to have a big game tonight. I mean, he's in this league for a long time. We we all know what he's capable of. It was his night tonight to, to carry us to a dub. Hit on me now. Hit on me now. I tell him, hit on me now. I mean, that's, that's the reason why he's here. He's been doing that this whole career. I mean, it's pretty simple. I think just being aggressive, seeing who was out there defensively and trying, just trying to get to the basket and take the best shot available. You know, when he's in a groove like that, we just give him the ball and keep it going. So that's what everyone was saying after game four. But the question now, Ramona, is yeah. how sustainable is this? I actually think that the way he played last night is sustainable because it wasn't that he all of a sudden got his burst back. It wasn't that he had an extra step on everybody. It's that he found a way to create space. Okay, and he has had no space the first three games of the series. Every single game, Miami's been giving him less and less and less space every time, especially when Joel Embiid is not on the court. Last night, he totally opened things up, mostly by making some of these shots. So when Embiid wasn't on the court, he hit four or five threes. Um, when you make your three, three ball, everybody has to come out and guard you a little bit more. But he was having the least amount of space around him. I get that second section tracking data it, that he's had in three years mm. in the first three games of this. He flipped that script. And some of that is him attacking, some of that is him making shots, and then Miami having to guard him differently. But if he if he just hits shots, which he can do, you don't need burst to hit shots. Yeah. If he can just hit more of his shots and they have to play him more honestly, then I do think that is sustainable because it's it's not about does he get that extra step back that he has clearly lost. This is now can you evolve your game? And you and you had a great piece on oh, this thanks. where you said taking away space from James Harden, that's like depriving fire of oxygen. And yeah. that, that seems to be a perfectly apt metaphor. JJ, what did you see here? Well, I think the big difference here was the step back threes. He mm -hmm. still struggled inside the line. He was two for eight. He hit four step back threes. That's the most that he's hit in a Philadelphia 76ers uniform. This is only his only his second 30-point game, and I've said this for weeks. We need to view James for who he is now That's and right. not the player he was, and he's still a fantastic player. He's still going for 20 points, 9 assists, 6 rebounds in the playoffs on 59% true shooting because he can still get to the free throw line. I actually don't think James has to play this well offensively for, from a scoring standpoint mm -hmm. for them to, to win, and the reason is Tyrese Maxey, has absolutely killed in the playoffs. Mm. And Tobias Harris, as your fourth option, is giving you 18 and 8. Like, they are good enough to advance past the Miami Heat without James having to go for 30. Yeah, no, they, they are. They are good enough. But we also understand that James Harden playing this style, and not, not the 30 points, but just... The quicker you, you become quicker, the more shots that you hit. You know this, JJ. The, the closer you have to get to somebody, the quicker they become. That's and right. so when he knocks down those shots, then all of a sudden those passes start to become easier. Open shots for his teammates. There's so many things that are predicated on this because, if, like you said, if we want to evaluate him for who he is now, 
then we still ha are evaluating because there's been a steady, consistent decline to this point, and now we've seen one uptick, and we have to imagine that he's going to go back to what we've seen over the past, let's say, 20 games. Mm. So that's when Tyrese Maxey, that's when Tobias Harris, that's when those guys have to step up because we don't know if this is sustainable because we have to go off what we've seen over the past, you know, six months. How many shots did he take? Back to Miami. Yeah. Yes, he had 18 shots. Mm -hmm. That used to be like a low number for him. That right? used to be a first half. Yeah. <laughs> that used to be a first half. So, so we can call it efficient, but yeah. on the other side of the ball, you have Miami who had just a rough shooting weekend from deep, right? Seven for 35 from three in game four. That's after shooting seven from 30 from downtown in game three. Duncan Robinson, he's played just one minute this entire series. So why is that? What are you seeing here? Well, sometimes it can be matchups. It can be how you want to play. I still find this quite surprising considering that Duncan Robinson has played in the NBA Finals. He's big shots in the Eastern Conference Finals. Like, he's a guy that's proven that he can go play and knock down shots. And great shooters like that, it's not necessarily about whether or not they're hitting shots. It's about the space that they create for uh, everyone else. They, they, he creates space because you're basically playing one-on-one -on -one with him. And it's just like Steph Curry. His movement will open up other shots and easier shots for his teammates. So while maybe they're not playing him because of his defense, his offense and what he can create for other people is special. Shifting gears here. Yeah, look at that. Look at that. Like... He has 322 made three-pointers. Yeah. Um, shifting gears, uh, former Michigan State star Adrian Payne was shot and killed in Orlando, Florida early Monday morning, the Orange County Sheriff's Office said, and, and Payne was the 15th pick by the Atlanta Hawks in 2014, played four seasons in the NBA with multiple teams. In 2018, he was waived by the Magic after he was named in a report by ESPN's Outside the Lines that he'd been involved in an alleged sexual assault at Michigan State in 2010. No charges were filed in that case. Prior to playing in the NBA, Payne was a member of the All-10, All-Big Ten second team in two of his four seasons with Michigan State. So Draymond Green, who was Payne's teammate for two seasons in Michigan, tweeted this. You can see the broken heart emojis on Monday. Payne was 31 years old. NBA Today will be right back. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Welcome back to NBA Today, presented by PNC Bank. Welcome back to NBA Today, presented by PNC Bank. So this weekend was the start of the WNBA's 26th season, so let's take a look back at the best moments. Let's go. So happy to be with you for the start of another WNBA season here. And this game underway. Sends that away. Welcome to the league, Rook. Left open for three. Maybe you can't do that anymore. I'm a shooter. I'm putting the whole W on point. I'm a shooter this year. Yeah, that's good. Deep one is good. We believe in each other. We believe in the culture that we're building here. Wow, they look so good. Becky Hammond error has gotten off to a fantastic 
start here. What an opening weekend from the W. This Saturday, we've got Diana Taurasi and the Mercury taking on Brianna Stewart and the Storm. It'll all be on ABC and the ESPN app. So also over the weekend, Suns-Mavs, it became a series. The Mavs, they held it down at home. They tied things up 2-2. Chris Paul, he struggled big time in Dallas, fouled out of game four. And it wasn't that long ago, remember, that CP3 had a game. He was 14 for 14. So, so Richard, what's your diagnosis for CP3's play here? Uh, you know, it, it, it's tough. You know, he's, these games are every other day. And when I look at CP, he had seven turnovers in the first half, more than any game he's ever had in his career. And then he follows that up. And everyone's talking, hey, the Phoenix Suns rarely have two bad games in a row. They haven't lost three games in a row all season, just to let you know how good they are. And he follows up that performance with fouling out. He had more fouls than he did points. Now, these are things that we have never seen from Chris Paul. So I don't know what it was. I don't understand. And again, there was so much conversation. And there was a lot of stuff that happened after his performance. Yep. But ultimately, if you focus in on his performance, he just was not locked in the way he normally is, the way we have seen the point guard locked in. But JJ, let's give a little bit of credit to the Mavs here because they shot the lights out. Dallas hit 23s, 45% shooting. It's going to be hard for any team to beat them with those kind of numbers. So what stood out to you from that side? After game two, Jason Kidd said he needed someone to come join Luka at the party. Mm -hmm. and he got a big game three performance from Jalen Brunson. And in game four, Dorian Finney-Smith said he not only wanted to dance, he also wanted to pick the music playlist. <laughs> Tell him. Tell him, JJ. Because his night was huge. And let's look at how he got his threes in the half court. Dallas spent a lot of time in a matchup, or uh, Phoenix spent a lot of time in a matchup zone. Luka took advantage time and time again, going against smaller defenders. Here, Jay Crowder is in a help position, but he kind of gets lost here in no man's land. Devin Booker pointing for him to go to the wing. He turns and goes towards the corner. There's a little miscommunication there. That's too long of a closeout against a great shooter like Dorian Finney-Smith. And here's a little blow-by Luka gets against CP. Watch this switch between Bridges and CP here. The Suns do this all the time. Typically, Devin Booker would be the low man there on the blow-by, but he's caught out of position. The Suns are going to have to make a decision about how much help they want to show Luka Doncic because in games three and four, yeah, his scoring was down, but he was able to pick them apart because of his size. Even in that matchup zone, he's finding wherever campaign or wherever Chris Paul is, yeah. and he's using his size to score and pick their defense apart. Well, and now the question is, can they keep it up when they go back on the road? Because we know that common wisdom is that role players play better at home. You see Davis Bertans open up and hit his first four threes. Like, whoa, where, where did that come from? Can that translate when they go back to the Valley? And Richard, you alluded to this, but there was an off-court incident involving a fan who was removed from the arena. And sources told ESPN's Dave McMenamin that members of Chris Paul's family were harassed and the fan made physical contact with them. So here's Monty Williams just moments ago on the incident. I, I really feel like families who are in to support their loved ones need to be protected a bit more. Um, whether or not we have to give these people, our family members, a section or suite, something has to be done because we can't wait for it to get to a level or two higher before the league or we do what we need to do. So that was Monty Williams. The Suns told our Dave McMiniman that Chris Paul declined to speak today. Paul didn't feel like he had anything to add. And let me just be very clear here. 
it is never okay, no matter who you are, to put your hands on somebody else. We all need to be better. Still to come though on NBA Today, we have the latest on the Grizzlies' reaction to John Morant's knee injury. More NBA Today after this. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Welcome back to NBA Today. So revisiting our top story, John Morant is doubtful. Taylor Jenkins just reiterated that moments ago for tonight's Game 4 against the Warriors. So here is Jaron Jackson Jr. speaking about their star's health at shoot-around earlier today. It's definitely sad. Uh, it's, my, it's my boy, so you don't want to see that and uh, we're there for him. Uh, we know what he expects of us, um, just resiliency. That's what we expect of each other. Um, so we're just going to show that tonight, and we're going to go out there and compete like we know. So John Morant is just one of many stars to show up on the injury report this postseason. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Devin Booker, Joel Embiid both went from out to playing in the yeah. exact same day. And both teams were actually fined for that. But big picture, what is the NBA's concern here when it comes to how teams are handling their injury reports? Well, I think the, the issue is the timeliness of that reporting. Okay, so if there's a if you go from out to doubtful to in in a span of 12 hours, that's a little too quick. Right. You can upgrade. Maybe both of them should have been listed as doubtful the night before. But I think a lot of this, Malika, is being spotlighted because of the increased importance of gambling in professional sports. And when you have millions of dollars that swing one way or the other based on which stars play and don't play, then it puts a spotlight on things. Now, I can speak to my own reporting on, on things, and I, I think that the designation that we see on the injury report is just one piece of information. But I know reporting on this show, I know reporting online, I know reporting that both I've done, Adrian Wojnarowski, all the local reporters in Philadelphia, even things that, that Doc mm -hmm. Rivers said publicly, I think led you to the same place where you could understand why Joel Embiid went from out to doubtful to in in that time frame, which was he had a concussion. He had not cleared the concussion protocol. I can tell you the day before on Thursday when he went through a light workout, yeah. he was not moving very well at all. He could barely get up and down the court. And so if you asked him right then, would he play that the next night, I think the answer would be no. But he needed to see how he would, one, come through that workout. Would there be swelling in his face? Would he feel worse? Yeah. That's how it is when you come back from a concussion. And so I actually don't have a problem with how that reporting went because I know the information has been out there, and I think we said it on the show, right? right. So if you're relying, if you're a gambler and you're trying to rely on just the injury report, Okay, that's just one piece of information. You're probably not a very good gambler, right? <laughs> well, I mean, well, it seems to me that there's just so many stakeholders here. Right. Yes, the gambling is one piece of it. The fans are another, another. piece of it, frankly, of over whether or not you're sure. going to show up, sell your ticket, whatever the case may be. Yep. It seems, though, that teams are making this estimation of, okay, if it's only going to cost us 25000 right. 
50,000 yeah. to have a little bit of gamesmanship here to do what makes our star feel comfortable, then that's something that we're willing to take as right. opposed to if you look at, for instance, the NFL, the fines are much steeper. You have stars like Tom Brady just being listed as questionable yeah. for an entire season because then it doesn't put the onus one way or the other. So Correct. I, I think the NBA has some things to look at here. But one other thing, Ramona, to keep an eye on in this series, yeah. in addition to John Morant, right, is Dylan Brooks, who's just finished serving his one game suspension. Mm -hmm. He spoke to reporters just moments ago. Well, what was your reaction when Steve Kerr was saying that you broke the code in regards to your flagrant? No reaction. Um, I don't really even know what that means, the playoffs. Um, you know, every bucket, every basket, every possession, um, every play counts. So I did not understand what he meant by that. I guess uh, two questions off of that. What was going through your head when you were going for that play? Going for that play. Yeah. I was trying to make a play on the ball. And was running full speed. And I jumped and he adjusted. Have you talked to Gary Payton? No, I haven't. So this is the first time we've heard from Dylan Brooks on this entire saga. Richard, your reaction to what we just heard? There's not a lot of remorse. There's not a lot of remorse. And I'm not saying this is the playoffs. Like you said, no one's looking for remorse. But I know from the brotherhood, let's take out the code. If a guy, you check on players. You want to make sure that they're okay. If a guy is potentially out for a season, I'm not, maybe shoot him a text. And like, yo, bro, I'm sorry. God bless. Wish you the best. Whatever. That's not all necessary needed. Not everybody is like that. But he's saying, I was just trying to make a play on the ball. All of that. That's where that's that keep that same energy. Would mm. you have the same energy if someone did that to you? We've seen a far less play happen to to John Morant and everybody's up in arms. So I love his intensity. Dylan Brooks is a guy that you would want on your team 10 times out of 10. I'm not saying we need to see any remorse, but ultimately he's unapologetic. Keep keep his energy. Keep that same energy. That's who the Memphis Grizzlies have been all year long and you got to respect it whether you like it or not. We've been huge fans of the Memphis Grizzlies on this show. This series though, I mean there's a whole bunch, Richard, thank you, that yeah. has been going on off of the court. The chatter, the ins and outs. Let's get back to basketball. Joined now by Kendra Andrews and JJ Reddick. So Kendra, I'm going to start with you here. What is the Warriors game plan for this game for? Well, Malika, the Warriors are really emphasizing shot selection, as simple as that might sound. But in the first two games of this series, they felt that they were missing that. And that's what prevented them from having any kind of offensive rhythm that clearly changed in game three as they had a nearly historic shooting night. The Warriors shot 53% from three, but they also scored 64 points in the paint. And that is what Steve Kerr said led them to finding an offensive rhythm. He said once you start hitting those easier shots, the more difficult ones become just as easy. And he gave Clay Thompson's one-legged three-pointer as an example. And Amalika, the Warriors are sticking to this plan. They're still emphasizing shot selection, mm. whether or not Jaw plays or not. Steve Kerr said, look, the Grizzlies went 20 and five without Jaw Morant during the regular season. We cannot overlook them regardless of his status. So the Warriors say we need to stick to our game plan, whether or not Jaw's out on the court. Kendra, thank you. JJ, we heard Kendra mention shooting. And big picture, the Warriors are coming off an incredible shooting performance, over 60% from the field so do they need to play at this same level if they want a chance to win it all they need to play like they did in game three it's unrealistic to think they're going to shoot over 60 percent every game yeah. but game three to me was warriors basketball player movement ball movement they're they're at their best when there's multiple passes when the ball moves side to side and so much of what the warriors do is based on shooting 
but what that threat allows is for them to get to the paint. They had over 60 points in the paint in game three. That to me is the best combination when they're shooting the ball, moving the ball and getting easy buckets. Like you said, JJ, I think it might be unrealistic to shoot quite that high of a percentage, but you know, you can't, you can't necessarily bet against the Splash Brothers. Kendra, JJ, I really appreciate you. All right, I mentioned it. This has been a, a battle of both on the court and off of the court in this series. So for more, let's bring in Anscape's Mark Spears because Mark, in a series that has been full of, let, let's just say drama, how are the Warriors handling all of this? Well, they've decided not to go into the rabbit hole. Uh, obviously, there's been a lot said over the last couple of days, and uh, but Steve Kerr, especially after the NBA has decided they weren't going to do anything about it, he said, you know, I have nothing to comment on. Draymond Green, who you know has no problem saying anything, says he's not going to go tit for tat. And I think the thing is, they know they want to do bigger things. They want to win a championship, and they really, really respect this Grizzlies team. The one interesting stat, though, that's not being mentioned is the Grizzlies actually were outscored by 32 points when Ja wasn't on the floor in this series. So Kerr said they're a hell of a team. They're really deep. They do respect Memphis, but I want to see if these Chase Center fans respect Memphis. I'm sure they have some interesting things to say to the coach and Dylan Brooks, who actually struggled in game one, but will be a much needed addition if John Morant is out in game four. I can't wait to watch this game. Mark Spears, thank you so very much. I appreciate you, my friend. I do want to stick, though, with the Warriors here because their assistant, Mike Brown, has been named the head coach of the Sacramento Kings, as our Adrian Wojnarowski reported. Brown will finish off the season with the Warriors before transitioning to Sacramento. Brown had a 347 and 216 record in eight seasons as a head coach with the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Los Angeles Lakers. Coming up, though, on NBA Today, we have a pivotal game four tonight in Milwaukee. So who needs to step up for their teams? NBA Today will be back in 60 seconds. NBA Today is presented by PNC Bank. See how we can make a difference. Tonight on SportsCenter at 6 Eastern, what Giannis and the Bucks are saying about their chance to push the Celtics to the brink tonight. We're live in Milwaukee. Plus, up-to-the-minute status reports on John Morant's availability for Game 4 against the Warriors. What a Week 2 matchup between the Bills and Titans will teach us about the race for the AFC. SportsCenter, 6 Eastern on ESPN. The answer to so many of our MVP debates is in our Adrian Wojnarowski reporting that Nikola Jokic has been voted MVP for the second consecutive season. A formal announcement is expected this week, sources told our Wojnarowski. All right, back with J.J. Redick and Richard Jefferson here. And let's go from the current MVP to the 2019 MVP because Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Bucks they face the Celtics in game four tonight. I was in the building for game three. It was awesome. So, J.J., who's going to be the X factor for Boston as they try to even up the series at two games apiece? I mean, it's got to be Jason Tatum looking for a bounce back game yeah. here after going four for 19 in game three. Wes Matthews, when he defended him, Tatum was 0 for 10. And I think a lot of this is Wes Matthews' individual defense here. He doesn't give an inch. This is a tough shot. Jason Tatum can make tough shots, but a steady diet of tough shots against great individual defenders, that's going to be a recipe for tough shooting nights. Again, great defense there from Wes Matthews. And this, to me, he's, he's staying in front. He's being physical. 
Then, the, then you get a weak side contest here from Giannis. RJ, I mean, if that's if that's your shot profile going into a game, you're going to have tough shooting nights. I want to see him get to his spots off the pick and roll, not get baited into those rear view contest threes, and move the ball like they did in game two. For me, I think uh, if we're going to talk about the the Bucks, I'm going to say it's just really their three-point shooting. I think they have to continue to shoot the ball well. I also think that's the X factor. If they can no if they can knock down shots, that just makes life so much easier for Giannis. And some guys, when you don't have uh, you know Chris Middleton creating, you only got Giannis and you only got Drew uh, Drew Holiday. Then you got to get everybody else involved, right. and that's those three-point shots. Well, and that's why they put Grayson Allen in the starting lineup instead of Bobby Portis. We'll see if they stick with that tonight. NFL Live is coming up next, and we will see you tomorrow. I won't. <laughs> There's Derek Henry trying to get the big guy going, and he's going. And when I say going, he might go all the way. Nobody's going to catch him. Chris Jackson in there for Farley, the throw and the catch, touchdown. If they don't get this here, could be the ball game. Allen leans forward, and I don't think he got there. Naquan Jones stuffed the hole. The Titans and Bills played a classic on Monday night last season. This year, they'll be part of a special Monday night football doubleheader in week two. Earlier today on Good Morning America, our Joe Buck and Troy Aikman announced that there will be two games on Monday night on September 19th. First, the Titans traveling to Buffalo at 7.15 on ESPN, then at 8.30 on ABC. It's the Vikings at the Eagles. Two games and over four hours of football mm. on one night on two of our networks. Such a special opportunity for fans. Makes you really excited for football. Welcome to NFL Live. There's a lot more on week two coming your way, but we have a very special guest today. We're so glad to have Luke Keekley, the seven-time Pro Bowl linebacker. He's here with us today, and we're putting you to work today. You get a lot to do. You're it's stuck with us. So far. Yeah, well, maybe that's uh, because you didn't well, spend you very much time. Yeah, I was going to say, we have the same joke. You didn't spend much time with Dan. All right, uh, also later, the reason why this Ravens team reminds Luke of his 2015 Panthers that went to the Super Bowl. But first, let's get back to week two, you guys, in Monday Night Football. We start with the Titans and the Bills on ESPN. And Luke, the big story with the Titans losing A.J. Brown, what do you think the offense looks like early on? I think early on, week two, that's when this game's happened, and it's going to be a lot of Derrick Henry. Derrick Derek Henry early and often they get Traylon Burks they get Robert Woods obviously Tannehill's coming back rough taste in his, his mouth with how the mm. season ended but I think early in this game you're going to see Derrick Henry feed him the ball get him going early I, I, when I think about this past game now with Ryan Tannehill Luke you mentioned the poor performance in the playoffs this was an offense that was built, you know, in the one-on-one -on -one pass game, so to speak, because everyone's so committed to stopping the run, and they had Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. It was like, hey, you guys are going to get one-on-one -on -one matchups. Just go win. You know, go win on a comeback or a go route or a slant or something like that. Well, now that they have Robert Woods coming over from the Rams and Traylon Burks, who they drafted out of Arkansas, I don't really see those guys as one-on-one -on -one dominant receivers. They're more kind of, can we get creative with these guys? We want to get them usage, get them touches, rather than line them up outside the, the numbers and, and go win on the perimeter. And I think that's will be the one of the things that I'll pay attention to in that game is how quickly Tennessee gets an understanding of those guys. But I wanted to ask you about... You know, when, when it comes to, like, the Tennessee run game, from your vantage point, why is it so hard to stop Derrick Henry? Is it strictly the size or, it, you know, we always hear it's so difficult to hmm. tackle in the fourth quarter. Well, I think you got to do it every snap. You watch that, that Bills game from last year. They were good, they were good, they were good. And then he found one crease and busted it, and that blew the game out of, out of, the, out of the water. And for Derrick Henry, 
arm tackles don't work in the fourth quarter. Early in the game when you're yeah. strong, you have everything with you. You can grab him, get him, grab him, pull him down by a leg or an arm. But as the game progresses, he's so That's big and point. powerful and strong mm -hmm. that you can't, you can't just get on him because you're going to slide right off. So as the game progresses with Derrick Henry, not only does he get stronger, but a lot of guys get worn on throughout the mm. game. And one crease for him is a touchdown. Yeah, it, that's interesting. I feel like uh, all this time we're wondering why can no one bring him down in the fourth quarter? It's those arm tackles. On the other side, though, the Bills have largely the same personnel. They do not have Brian Dable anymore as the offensive coordinator. How big a deal is that, you think? Well, I think when you look, when you go to a new coordinator, where did he come from? Ken Dorsey obviously grew up in that system with them. Josh Allen's familiar with him, and then you bring in Joe Brady to be the quarterback's coach. I mm. think the one thing that is going to change moving forward is the flow of the game, mm. how the game gets called. And the one thing that I don't think people are going to talk about a whole lot is Josh Allen wears the green dot in his helmet, so he gets all the communication from yeah. the field. Who's in his ear? Is it Joe Brady? Is it Ken Dorsey? Does that change from last year? Just that presence in your ear throughout the game is a big deal. I've had multiple guys when I was playing that would call plays in from the sideline and it's a big deal. You got to get used to them on game day. So yeah. for Josh Allen moving forward, the offense isn't going to change, but the cadence throughout the game will. I, I want to watch some of the role players that Buffalo yeah. is, ha has in their addition to the offseason. I think number one, Jamison Crowder replaces Cole Beasley in the slot. How quickly he gets on the same page with Josh Allen, really pre-snap almost. Cole had this great feel because he's better with the ball in his hands. Then O.J. Howard steps in as the number two tight end, not having to be the number one with Dawson Knox as their number one. And then James Cook, who they drafted as really the Alvin Kamara type of role. So the addition of a slot receiver that's a little bit more of a playmaker with the ball in his hands, O.J. Howard, and then that pass-catching tailback. I actually think their offense is interesting because for – you know, the Brian Dable era, it's really been 10 personnel or 11 personnel, one back, no tight ends, or one back, one tight end. I think that because of the addition of these guys, you could see this offense going two tight ends on the field, three wide receivers, no backs. Wow. You know, and breaking into that empty personnel, getting you as a defense to say, oh, come, there's two tight ends on the field. Do we have to get linebackers on the field? I could see them going two tight ends, two tailbacks in hmm. 22 personnel, and again, breaking the formation into empty and really putting defenses in binds, just matching that personnel grouping. You know, you guys think that uh, Josh Allen enjoyed having Brian Dable. In the four years with Dable, Josh Allen became the first player in NFL history with 100 touchdown passes, 30 rushing touchdowns, and that that was just in his four career seasons, first four career Accuracy seasons. Accuracy issues. Well. Yeah, there you go. All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, who said that? Let's go to the second game on ABC on this second week of football in the NFL, the Vikings and the Eagles. Dan, all the pieces around Jalen Hurts. What does this offense look like? you got a lot of guys going to have to get the ball. Yeah, I think, first of all, Nick Sirianni, their head coach, knows Jalen Hurts now, knows what he's good at, what he's not good at. He has the ability to spend the whole offseason allowing him to play to his strengths. With the addition of A.J. Brown now, now, this is a little bit different than the Tennessee Titans that I was just referencing. Hmm. This is a team that offensively is going to go, if you want to play us in man, we got the guys that can win man coverage now. A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, and then the run game with Miles Sanders. You're going to get into these really unique formations that allow the run pass option game or the zone read game. Dallas Goddard still such a owner in zone coverage of knowing when to sit and when to run. So this is an offense that... Um, in situational football, in my opinion, Luke, is going to be really good. Going to be tough to tackle, but in third and three, because Jalen is such a good weapon, and now they have man-to-man -man winners, 
you can really have a wide open playbook situationally as an offense. Well, I think the RPO game comes in for these guys. And hmm. from the defense per defensive perspective, it puts you in such a bind. You yeah, play teach the run. us why the RPO for a linebacker is so difficult to play against. <clears throat> because it's up to Jalen. He's going to make the decision when to give it, when to throw it. So when we were playing, we always tried to say alignment is key. Alignment allows you that extra half step to make sure either you can you, you go in the run game or you're going to sit back in the pass game. And okay. A lot of it's based off of alignments. A lot of it's based off landmarks in that in that offense. So if you're if you're Jalen, you sit there and I and I suck up. I'm gonna hit it behind you. So yeah. for me, is where can I align and put myself in position to be successful, whether it's run or a pass. Would you tell um, your linebackers alignment-wise to align more for the pass and react to the run, or more for the align more for the run? and react to the pass when you're playing Philadelphia in the RPOs. I'm playing, I'm gonna line for the run, react for the pass because I can sit and be patient in the run game. And that gap, that that offensive line is always gonna move. So if I can cheat and put myself to where that, that gap is gonna move to, mm. then I can then I can react to the pass. But the more I'm stagnant, the more I sit in one spot, that gap's going to move, and then I'm going to be out of touch for both not only the run game but also the pass game. It's fascinating. With all the pressure on Jalen Hurts because of how they've surrounded him, yeah. what does he do with it? I, I actually think he's going to take that bull by the horns and prove a lot of people wrong. All right, we got a lot more coming your way. We've got a little taste of that 2022 NFL schedule, but Thursday we have the whole thing with our NFL schedule release show. That's at 8 Eastern on ESPN2 and ESPN+. Plus. The NFL Network also has coverage. I'll be hosting alongside Teddy Bruschi, Damian Woody, and Adam Schefter, special guests of Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, our Monday Night Football crew, and we'll take you through each of the team's schedule as well as talk about the biggest matchups. This is a two-hour special. Don't miss it. We're just getting started on NFL Live. The Jets, Seahawks, and Colts all share something in common. They think their QB of the future is on their roster right now, but what do we think of their quarterback rooms? We'll hear from their head coaches later, and since we have Luke Keekley with us today, we'll have him give us his top five toughest players to tackle. You're looking at What's about to happen right over there? You may be surprised where Derrick Henry is on this list. It's all next on NFL Live. We'll be right back. Good job, guys. It was fun. Luca, natural. Let's go, Luke.